The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So as we continue on through the book of John, we're kind of opening each time, again, just with a, a reminder of what the book of John is about and why it's important because we all come from different places in our lives, uh, different upbringings, um, poor families, rich families, families of faith, families where faith had nothing, no part of our families. Um, Some of us grew up in the country, some in the city. Um, And because we grew up so different, uh, I think often I think we can get the impression that how can God relate (laughs) to each of us individually And that's the incredible thing about the book of John because it starts by saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and that word became flesh. It became a human being. Uh, One translation says that he he moved into the neighborhood. Our God, eternal God, moved into the neighborhood. And so he's not a God who's distant but a God that we can relate to, who understands, who lived life on earth And so as it ends, the book of John, it says these stories were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we can have life in his name because he's someone who understands, who's been where we are. He's not distant, and so we can put our full confidence and faith and trust in him. And that that topic of faith is really at the heart of what we're going to look at as we look at John chapter 4, 43 to 54 this morning, because so often I think we, we get a really skewed understanding. We think that we're walking by faith when in reality we're just walking a kind of prove it to me God lifestyle. And so this is a, a wonderful passage to help us to become people that walk by faith. So, if you want to follow along, it says, after the two days, Jesus left for Galilee. And the two days were what Daniel preached about last week, as Jesus was in the town of Sychar in Samaria, and he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. So he was there for two days, meeting with the whole town. They came to acknowledge him as the Messiah, and now he left for Galilee. There's this little parenthesis that says, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So as he heads for Galilee, he had pointed out that Galilee, which is his hometown, his home, we'll say it'd be like a state, uh, where he was raised in Nazareth. He'd done a miracle in Cana, Galilee. Uh, He spent much of his time in Capernaum, those were all like cities within the region of Galilee. And he said that in that area, because he was a hometown boy, it's kind of like, you know, me growing up in Manchester, uh, which is in Port Orchard, if you haven't heard of Manchester. Um, And every time I go back there, you know what they say? Oh, it's little Davy, you know. So it doesn't matter. I could be the president of the United States and I'm little Davy to them and so 
Um, <laughs> looking at Jenna, Jenna's parents are in Manchester. So he heads to Galilee with that understanding, but verse 45, when he arrived, the Galileans welcomed him. Why? Because they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So though he had this reputation of being little Jesus, the the carpenter boy, because of what he had done in Jerusalem, as he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans were excited to see him because they wanted him to do more of what he did in Jerusalem. Verse 46, so once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum, which is about 100 miles from Cana. 47, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And so having witnessed in Jerusalem that Jesus was this miracle worker, he wanted him to come and work a miracle on his son. Jesus calls him out in verse 48, and it seems kind of harsh, but but what Jesus is doing is really merciful is he's calling out this guy's way of thinking and it really helps us to expose our way of thinking. Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, and I think how we could read it is unless you people see signs and wonders again and again and again and again, you will never believe. Verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come. And he, re- he repeats himself, come down before my child dies. He pleads with Jesus, come and do something about my child. Verse 50, this is a turning point where Jesus says, instead of going with him, Jesus says to him, you go and your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. This is the turning point in this man's faith. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. The father realized that what Jesus had said was true. It happened. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. We are a forgetful people. I, I was going to start out by saying we're a cynical people, but, but, but we're a forgetful people. We need to be convinced over and over and over and over again, don't we, often? And then when, when it seems like we should be convinced, it's like we still aren't convinced. Uh, just a couple examples uh, that, that I think should head home with most of us. The first one is, let's, let's call them Joe and Judy, okay? Judy 
uh, or Joe says to Judy, man, you look great. Girls like that, right? Guys say, Joe says, Judy, you look great. And Judy says, do I really? And he says, yeah. And she says, I'm not too fat. And he says, no, you look great. That's day one, okay? Day two. Judy goes to John and says, you don't think I'm too fat? Or you can put whatever you want. You don't think I have too many zits? You know, you know, all the kind of, you know. The, and he says, what? I, I told you, you look great. He says, really? Day three. Judy goes to John. You don't think I'm too fat? <laughs> and this could go on and on and on, right? As we're, as we're, all of us can be so absorbed with our appearance and having to be convinced over and over, irregardless of what somebody says. It's like, are, are, is it true, really? Another way, another example is how we view ourselves. Let's call them George and Jenny, where George is talking with Jenny, says, man, I, I am not worth anything. Any of you felt that way? Just, I am not worth anything. Struggling with our identity. And, and Jenny responds to George, you're a child of God. And, and George, I am? Yes, and he, he totally loves you. That's day one. Day two, as George is struggling again, he says, man, I am, I am not worth anything. And Ginny repeats, George, you're a child of God. And he totally and completely loves you. Day three. You know, it can go on and on and on, can't it? It's just reality, right? I mean, I know it for me it's been reality. I think we can do this with God too. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise in the Bible. I will never leave you or forsake you, Jesus said. But how often in the midst of going through a difficult circumstance or, or repeatedly going through difficult circumstances do we struggle and question God? Like, where, where were you, God, when I needed you? And he said, I never left you. And yet our repeated struggle, ongoing, never-ending cycle, God, where were you when I needed you? The Bible says God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. But how often do we doubt that he will provide for the latest unexpected bill or car repair or medical expense or... And, 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 and this never-ending, repeated cycle of struggling and doubting. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, and, and the promises, they're just so many of these promises. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But how many of us have, have a never-ending struggle, this cycle of, man, if... if if God was just the God of the Old Testament, you know those incredible miracles he did? If, if Jesus was just here to do these incredible miracles that happened in the New Testament, 
Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, we go through these cycles. The big question is, how can I have a faith like that? How can I have a faith that doesn't keep failing, that isn't this never-ending cycle of doubting and needing to be convinced? Well, that's really what this, um, this passage is wonderful for about. Just coming back to this, to, to 43 to 49 here, what Jesus is doing here and what we see in John is, I think, really exposing the problem that I've described. And that problem is, is that seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. And, and what I mean by that, it's what, what results is with this process, what, what we see with the Galileans and this royal official is, is this needing to continue to see as Jesus calls them out in 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. You just got to keep seeing if you're going to believe. And unfortunately, what happens is faith is never a result. It's always the flesh. It's always what, what dominates. It's always our feelings or our emotions or our fears that drive us. It's never faith. Faith is never the result, but it also, it's always catering to the circumstances or the situations. That's what dominates us and drives our confidence and our certainty. As a result, there's never any certainty, but there's this never-ending cycle of, man, if you, God, if you, just, if you just reveal yourself to me one more time, right? <laughs> Ever been? If, if, you just, if you just answer this prayer one more time, or if you just... It's just one more time. And it's kind of like we've seen God provide, but can you just do it again for me one more time to prove yourself to me? Uh, I know you've answered prayer in the past, but can you just answer this one to convince me? As I was preparing this, this sermon, it, it convicted me. I was It was like last week because I was struggling, feeling overwhelmed with some with some stuff and it was like and uh, a lot of it revolved around finances uh, not my finances the coffee oasis finances and, and it was like and it, what, what went through my mind was God if you could just send a $50,000 check today you know I would know again that you're faithful you know that's that's, that's this right here um, we just keep doubting and this is it, never really believing, always despite what we say, living according to our emotions, our fears, our feelings, the situation and circumstances. You know, the, the most amazing example of this is in the Old Testament as the children of Israel came out of Egypt. You remember? They were, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and then God said, I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt and God did it in an incredible way. Ten, ten miracles uh, ending with the, the death of the firstborn of every Egyptian that, forced, that caused the Egyptians to force the Israelites to leave as God had said. And so two million people with plundering Egypt, they, they're driven out of Egypt like God had promised and they arrive at the Red Sea. 
The Red Sea is this huge body of water. It's like a wall. And then they hear the Egyptian army coming after them. But that's no problem, right? They had just seen God miraculously thrust them out of Egypt through these ten incredible miracles. And now they're saying, God, this is no problem for you. You're going to open the Red Sea, right? And we're going to be delivered. You should read your Bibles. That's not what that said. They're like scared spitless. They're like, never been that scared. But the, uh, they're like, God, did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? And again, it, regardless of what they had just witnessed, they doubted God again. And, they, and, and God amazingly divided the Red Sea. They walked through two million or so of them. And then the whole Egyptian army is drowned. And they see the, the Egyptian shoulders washed up on the, on the beach. And they're, they're just praising God and... Uh, there's the song of Miriam where they're just rejoicing in God's incredible deliverance of Gim. They walk about three days, three days into the wilderness, into the desert. And what happens? They're thirsty. There's no water. But that's no problem. They say, God, you drowned a whole Egyptian army with water. You can provide. We know you can provide water. You're good with water. But no, what do they do? They start complaining. God, did you bring us out here to kill us? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? I mean, three days after they'd just seen God open up the Red Sea. Um, You know, the question is, is that us? I think so often it is. Because for us, seeing always becomes the avenue to believing. Our faith always first must be validated by experience. God, prove yourself to me one more time. So the so what's the answer? The answer is in verses fifty to fifty-four, where where Jesus simply tells this guy, go. He says, I'm not gonna come. And validate your need for another sign for me to speak and or to put my hand on your son. I'm not going to validate your need for another experience, another sign or wonder. He says, you just go and your son will live. And that's what happens. It's incredible. This guy goes from, from being the need to experience in order to believe to just believing just believing and and his believing that leads to to knowing we see it because the man's you know the man could have left discouraged he could have said that's not going to (laughs) work but he took Jesus at his word you know that's that's it right there faith is taking Jesus at his word And, and the key word here is confidence confidence. True faith is not rooted in what we see, but in what he has said. Do we get that? True faith isn't rooted in what we see, because what we see can be overwhelming and discouraging and, and crushing to where we, we 
require again, God convince me, God show me, God prove to me, but it's not rooted in what we see, but in what he has said. There's an old phrase, I, I love it. It says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Isn't that good? That's, that's what it is right here. God said it. I take him at his word. God made these incredible promises in this book. I take him at his word. And that settles it. That's the first thing. The man took Jesus at his word. He, he puts his confidence in what, what Jesus has said. And, and while he's on his way, his servants meet him. He finds out that at the exact time Jesus had spoken to him, his son was healed. Verse 53 the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. The father realized that what Jesus had said was true. He took him at his word, put confidence in what Jesus had said, not what he had done or what he was going to do, but what he had said. And then when he saw that it, was, it happened, it, it gave him this certainty True faith is, is being convinced that what God has said is true and is certain. We don't have to, we don't have, it doesn't have to be proved to us over and over and over again that what God has said is true and certain. Hudson Taylor, uh, who started the China Inland Mission, became the Overseas Missionary Fellowship that Cindy and I went to the Philippines under. Uh, was an incredible man of faith. One of the things he said that has just rung in my head over and over again was that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. That what God has said, God will do. And we can, we can hang our hats on that. We can. That's a foundation. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know whom I have believed. So the question is, where does this kind of faith come from? Um, it, it's not that it requires big faith. In fact, Jesus said, you know, all you need is faith like a mustard seed, right? The, you just need this little bit of faith. It's not a big faith. It's a faith in a big God. It's a confidence in a big God. It's, it's a certainty in a big God. The, um, it's not a faith that must be validated by experience, but a faith that is rooted in relationship. This is the heart of it right here. If we want to break out of this never-ending cycle of, oh God, I just need to be convinced, just need to be reminded, just, just need to be assured one more time, it's because we've got this relationship. Just to give you an illustration, uh, Cindy and I... Um, Wow, in two weeks, we'll be celebrating our 36th wedding anniversary. Yeah, that's pretty good, huh? She's a pretty incredible lady to put up with me for 36 years. The, um, 
imagine what our relationship would be for 36 years if for 36 years every time we talked she had to assure me that I could trust her. I mean, every time, you know, she went shopping, she, she had to assure me that, that I could trust the way she's going to spend money. I was going to trust the people she's going to hang out with and, and vice versa. That's not a relationship. And honestly, that's why a lot of marriage relationships end up in shambles is because there's not that foundational trust. You know, put that into our relationship. It's like, if we have a healthy relationship, we know that trust has to be a part of it, and we don't have and we don't ask our the person we have this relationship, whether it's our spouse or another friend, we don't we're not constantly demanding of them to assure us and convince us that they're trustworthy, right? It's it's ridiculous. That's what we do with God. We're just constantly questioning, not taking him at his word not certain that what he has said, and, and, and we need to be certain. It's not a blind faith. It's not this, God doesn't say, just believe, just trust me, jump off the cliff. No, the Bible is full of incredible, incredible evidence that God can be trusted, that he is faithful. Great, great is his faithfulness. The song we just sing, sang, that is that is, that is, God can be trusted. We can take him at his word. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why do we not have this kind of faith? I, is it because we don't have that kind of relationship? Could it be that we're, we're too busy seeking an experience rather than a relationship? We're too busy seeking for God to do stuff for us, to prove himself to us, instead of being a people that are just getting to know this God that is trustworthy, the one we can take him at his word. What does this teach us about faith? It, number one, it, like a, it, it teaches us that faith is a relationship. It's a relationship. It's me, Dave Frederick, with all of my insecurities and all of my doubts and all my struggles being confident in a big God. It's not that I have to have some kind of incredible faith. It's just I serve an incredible God and I can trust him because he has never failed me. He has always been faithful. It's a relationship of faith, a confidence, a trust in a big God. You know, why this is important for me, I just jotted three things down, but to me there's three things why this is so important for us to break out of this never-ending cycle of doubting or questioning or God having to reassure us or prove to us just this settled confidence in who he is, taking him at his word, certain that he is what he has said he is. The first one is difficulty. We're going to go through difficulties. Some of you are going through incredible difficulties right now. What a difference this makes when we're going through difficulties, whether it's financial difficulties or relational difficulties or some kind of hardship or whatever. Instead of just 
the uncertainty of God. Can you just prove yourself faithful again? We have this settled confidence in the middle of difficulty that God is good and he can be relied upon. And in the midst of difficulty, we can go through it because we know that that he's going to carry us through it. The second is insecurity. Um, I've struggled with insecurity a lot of my life um, because of a, a phrase, and I've shared this before, that rings through my head at times that I was told when I was younger, you'll never amount to anything. Um, man, you know, it doesn't matter what you accomplish in life. If something like that's in your brain, I mean, you could be president of the United States and you still struggle with, I'll never amount to anything, right? <laughs> but what an incredible thing how, how this confidence, if, if our confidence is rooted in who we are in him, what that will do to our insecurities because it's not based on circumstances or situations or successes or failures. Our identity, our security is rooted in who he is and what he says about us. I'm his child. I, I, I believe that. I don't believe the lies that I'm a good for nothing. I'm his child and he loves me. Isn't that incredible? What this can do to our insecurities. And finally, what this can do to maturity. Um, so many of us were struggling with really growing up in Jesus. <laughs> you know, Paul says, you know, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. And, 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 and our, the pursuit of our life should be, should be to become more and more like Jesus, right? I mean, that's what, that's what we're saved to become more and more like him. And you know, so many of us were, it's like that, that growth has been aborted like we're, because we're still struggling with that we can trust him <laughs> and, that he's, and that he's good and that he's faithful and that he'll never abandon us and that he'll always be there and that he'll always provide. I mean, these are just the same promises that I've repeated a few times that if we believed them, <laughs> if we had confidence in him, a certainty about who we are in him. It would free us to grow because we wouldn't have to keep going through the same stuff, having to be reminded. I tell you, my relationship, Cindy and my relationship wouldn't have moved very far in the last 36 years if every day we were having to remind each other that we trusted each other that we were there for each other, if there wasn't that settled confidence, that relationship that enables us to just move forward together and grow together and do incredible things together because that relationship is there. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Do you know, do you know him? If you don't, man, I just, I just encourage you, needing that assurance and you're in that never-ending cycle, just man, get into this book. Get to know him. Be reminded of his promises and that he's a God that's faithful. You can be confident, certain of that. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are faithful. 
one of the Psalms repeats over and over again that your loving kindness never ends. (laughs) Father, uh, open our eyes to your word, to who you are. Help us to dig deep and build our roots, build our foundations on just a confident certainty of who you are. So no matter what comes our way, no matter what we're struggling with personally, Father, we'll be rock solid, confident in our relationship with you. Thank you. Amen.